I thought a lot about utopias making this album, you know, obviously to be from a country like Aotearoa, New Zealand, people are thinking of us as being <laughs> members of this utopic society. And yeah, I found it really interesting to think about that um, as I would sort of travel back and forth between home and, and America um, and, and think about it in the context of you know, our changing climate and, yeah, lots of things. Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and that was Lord. Ella Yalich O'Connor speaking to RNZ's Charlotte Ryan ahead of the release of her third album, Solar Power, back in August. At that time, only very few people knew what was going to happen in a few weeks' time. Another release by the singer of the same songs, but different. And that is Hua Piro, the Lord song, Fallen Fruit, re-recorded in Te Reo Māori with vocals by Dame Heniwehe Mohi. New Zealand singer Lord released a five-track EP of songs off her latest album, Solar Power, yesterday translated into Te Reo Māori. The EP titled Te Ao Marama is a collaboration with a number of leading Te Reo Māori experts and musicians. It was pretty cool if you ask me, but, you know, nobody did. And not everyone agrees. Many people immediately took to social media, not necessarily to complain, but to voice their unease at the idea that a rich Pākehā pop star had perhaps tokenistically co-opted a taonga of Māori culture for her own edification. Today on The Detail, I'm speaking to Hemi Kelly, a te reo Māori teacher, writer and artist who's helped to translate the title track, Solar Power, or Te Ao Marama, about how and why he got involved with the project, why he thinks it's a net benefit for Māori and Māori speakers, and whether those misgivings are valid or misplaced. Let's start with the phrase te ao marama. If you were to take those three words, te ao marama, and literally translate them word for word into English, what would that sentence say? The world of light. So that's a bit different to solar power. And this must be one of the really interesting things about a project like this. You're not really just there to translate words, are you? No, there's a lot more than that. When it comes to translating a song that's already been composed, the tune has also been composed, there are a few other things you need to take into consideration when you go about interpreting or translating the lyrics to that song. Firstly, you want to understand well what the composer intended or meant when they wrote these words, what they were thinking, what's the narrative, the story behind these words. Um, so in the first instance, I was sitting down with Ella and hearing her story behind each of these songs, where she was at when she composed them, so that me and Hannah, who um, worked on the translations, could then um, put ourselves in that headspace, um, go away and start to then yeah, navigate the, the language, the words we needed in Te Reo to convey that message um, correctly. So in a way that sounds natural to a Māori speaker, that sounds um, fluent to a Māori speaker. So 
and then in a lot of spaces, translating directly just wouldn't work. That would sound really clunky, and um, it just wouldn't sound. It wouldn't be a natural way of how we might express those ideas. In um, translating that one line where she says, And I throw my cellular device in the water. Can you reach me? No, you can't. <laughs> I mean, we can take that literally or we can read into a little bit further and, and show that she's throwing the warriors away for the moment and being present. That for me was, I mean, there's lots of different ways you could go about interpreting that and different words, but for me that was a... Um, it, it came to me, I suppose, in, in working through it, that, that narrative about um, the creation story and, and moving into um, the world of light away from, from darkness. The translation of that line, I throw away all of my troubles, my mind is free. So it was grabbing the ideas and then going, okay, so here's equivalent, here's an equivalent phrase we might say in, in Māori that sums up or has the same meaning or sense as what um, Al has written here. And it, and it was navigating all of that. And then next to that was also the tune because these songs had already been composed, the tunes as well. You're kind of restricted by the tune. You, you've got so many syllable counts with each line. Da, 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 in English, so you would need to do that again in Māori. So, it's, okay, I've got the phrase I want that conveys the message, but oh, there's too many syllables in this this phrase. Okay, so what's another Māori word for this word? Um, all of that was, you know, going on as we worked through the Waiata. I want to kind of take it back a little bit and talk a, li- a bit about how you kind of found out about this project and how you how you got involved with it in the first place. Like, when were you approached? How was this idea kind of presented to you in the first place? I'd been involved with some of this work already in the past through Dame Niwahi Mohi. I started working with artists keen to, to sing their songs in Māori, mostly for the first time, uh, a couple of years ago when we released the Waiata Anthems album. And um, since the beginning of, of the, the work with artists and um, how, how it has moved them, changed them and, and really um, provided an access point for Te Reo Māori, it, it's been incredible. Who um, is, I suppose, a mentor of, of mine in this space, working with Waiata and, and creatives and translating their and artists and translating their songs into Te Reo. So I'd done um, a song with Shafu, Fade Away. I'd worked with him in translating that into Te Reo and that was part of the White Anthem uh, release. And then she contacted me asking if I'd be keen to work with Lord. <laughs> and I was blown away. I, I was a little bit um, bugged out by it all and thought, of course, I'm keen to work with Lord, um, and 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 also knowing that she was kind of behind it all or helping direct the co-papa, I felt that it was um, was right, knowing that she was um, involved in, in pushing this co-papa. So she kind of approached me and, and Hana Meriraiha. Uh, we're related, me and Hana, we're, um, from the same Fano. Uh, so that was again another bonus to the whole co-papa was that um, me and my my cousin who are are both language nerds, really. We're both teachers of Te but real language geeks, I suppose. But we're both creatives as well in our own little 
respective areas and ways. So it was another bonus to the kaupapa to, to work with Hana, being directed by Heniwehi with someone like like Lord. Mm. Yeah. Was was there any part of you when you were thinking about the project that felt any any reservations? I mean, we'll, we'll talk about these a little bit in, in a little mm. bit, but, you know, that felt any reservations here, or did you have confidence, given the people that were going to be working on this, that it would be done the right way? Yeah, I had full confidence right from the start, based on who was involved in the project and the way that it was being run, I suppose. Uh, everything felt uh, right to me and... We got together after agreeing to work on the kaupapa with Henewehi and Ella, myself and Hannah, and had this first little sit-down meeting where we got to know each other, um, talk about her intentions, and then that you know followed on with her explaining the songs and, and why she chose these songs to be translated from the album. So I think at the, at the, the heart of it all, or the foundation of the whole, whole project was what we call whakawhanaungatanga was establishing a connection or a relationship with someone that that was the very first thing that happened before we even got into the mahi into the work and so um immediately it, it all started to fall into place after that once you kind of establish that connection and relationship with someone and you know where they're coming from and what their intentions are and that they're good and genuine as well i mean you mentioned that so you, you sat down with ella and you you sort of nutted out what what her intention with this project was what was her intention what did she say to you what did she want to accomplish with this and in, 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 from your perspective this um album if you look at the songs and listen to the music there's a, a theme that um runs through all of these songs that she's uh, released and they all relate to our natural environment here in Aotearoa and her memories to places of significance to her and her whānau, places where she visited or frequented or grew up. And one awesome detail is that there's cicada sounds on the single. Are we going to hear a lot of cicadas throughout the whole record? You actually will. I started recording cicadas a couple of years ago in New Zealand. They really sound like a New Zealand summer to me. Um, you can hear the cicadas in the background there. It's, it talks about summer, but all, all of the, the songs have that theme of, of the kaiao, the natural environment. And she said she couldn't escape in thinking about all of that and, and the, the natural connection that our language has to the environment where, where it comes from. And so for her, it felt, it felt right. And um, that was, I suppose, it's probably better for her to speak on that, but that's what I remember explaining yeah because i i mean i find this fascinating like we talked earlier about how some people have had reservations about this on i guess on sort of a philosophical level i mean do do you know many people who were a little bit like you know i don't know about this what is your interpretation of the misgivings or the or the criticism around you know this 20 something pakiha pop star recording Mm -hmm. an ep in te reo maori Mm, yeah, I haven't paid too much attention to um, what's been said recently. I've been really busy with mahi, but um, the majority of the comments that I have seen have been largely positive, coming from, in particular, coming from Maori artists who who do this every single year, who who work to promote Te Reo Māori through their music and to see them endorse it and support it 
makes me go, yeah, this is good. This is this is good for Aureo. One of the criticisms that I saw is the idea that, you know, that some people looked at this and said, what are you doing? You mm. don't speak our language. Mm. Te Reo Māori is not some tokenistic thing that you do to mm. to make your fans talk about how enlightened you are or to feel good about yourself. I think some of the discourse, and looking at some of it, I can understand where people are coming from. I think other parts um, of this discourse are, are unhealthy. I don't think it's a... It's it's healthy for us to be restricting our language to any one group of people or any one place. Those of us who work with Te Reo Māori, whether that be, you know, bringing up your child in your home and doing the best you can with the little bit of language you have, um, whether that be teaching Te Reo Māori at, at high school, whatever capacity, the vast majority are aware that for our language to continue to survive in 2021 and beyond, it needs to inhabit every single part of our society, which includes forms of entertainment. We haven't, you know, kicked up a stink when we saw Dave Dobbin and, and other non-Māori doing this two, three years ago with the first release of Wire to Anthems. Dave Dobbin re-recorded his song Slice of Heaven for Wire to Anthems under the title Hine Rui. here is Lord's Platform because it's definitely not the first. We've seen uh, other non-Māori, Pacifica, Tauiwi, Pākehā do this in the past. Um, it just, I suppose, hasn't created as much attention. And for me, that's, that's a great thing. Um, Aureo has not been put on a platform like this in the past where it's seen by a um, an audience this big. I was just watching some of the videos with my flatmates uh, of the Lord's songs and to tell that uh, uh, on YouTube with the lyrics and in the back translation and we were reading through some of the comments and my flatmate's Brazilian and a lot of the comments of course were from all over around the world in different languages and they were translating some of these comments in Portuguese people asking wow what is this beautiful language who are these people where are they from I think uh, the good outweighs any sort of negative impact that this is going to have in fact I can't see any sort of negative impact coming from this. I spoke with some students this week in class about it and gathered their thoughts, knowing that there are different thoughts out there about it. Uh, and one of my students, who's a mother, kind of um, made it very clear. She said, you know, I'm not a fan of Lord's music, but I think good on her. Uh, she goes, but my children love it. They think it's awesome. And for these children who are 12, 13, her children who have grown up in a bilingual unit, they think that this is cool, and I think, hey, if, if the children or if the people who are entertained by this, it's another form of entertainment, think it's cool, and it's creating exposure to our language, promoting our language in these spaces, then let it be. Why are we overcomplicating the situation or politicizing the situation um, when it doesn't need to be? That, that's super interesting. I was talking to someone from Māori TV about this story, and, and they they sort of floated the idea that perhaps there is a generation of Māori, maybe between that sort of, you know, the generation that got beaten for speaking te reo and 
and then more modern generations of Te Reo Māori speakers who have sort of torn feelings about this kind of mainstreaming, you know, like this mm-hmm. is this is a precious thing. I didn't get the opportunity to learn about it. I didn't have the support to learn about it, and that hurts me. And it is not, you know, it's not a toy. It's not a plaything. You should not be spraying this around willy-nilly without understanding it. Do you think there is something to that idea? I acknowledge that hurt, that pain that I've witnessed and experienced within my own whānau from different members of my own whānau who didn't grow up with te reo. Like my mother, for example, who grew up with a native speaker, but because of the the times, was never taught te reo Māori and um, was not encouraged to learn te reo Māori. So, you know, all of that I can acknowledge. I think those are, those are personal feelings, but if we look at the wider kaupapa of what's happening here, um, I hope that people can see the good that comes from it if they just um, kind of step back a little bit and look at the bigger picture of what's happening with language revitalization in Te Reo Māori and Aotearoa and the bigger picture, then uh, I think we can all kind of agree that this is a good thing, uh, regardless of how we feel personally about it. Mm. If we continue to... I want, I'm trying to find the right words here. Uh, be overtly sensitive to what we do with our language. I think progression is going to be really, really slow. Our language is special, yes. It does have, it it expresses our intimate connection to place and people. And um, if you're Māori, that connection is is different to anyone who isn't Māori. But our language is still another form of communication, a way of expressing your thoughts, your ideas, your opinions, your feelings in another language. And this whakatauki, I'm reminded of this whakatauki, mā te rau takitini e o rai te reo, taua mā te rau takitahi. You know, it's going to be the multitudes that will continue to keep our reo alive, not not the not the small group. That's a real bad translation of that whakatauki, that proverb. But... um. We need to have the masses on our side, Māori, non-Māori. If, if, as a teacher of te reo, if someone's wanting to learn and, and engage with te reo, then come, come and learn. If you're wanting to do something like publish a book or a song, then um, seek out the right people to help guide you to do it, to do it correctly. What has happened to our language? to go from being the only language spoken in this land in the space of 150 years to nearly being extinct, to now have gone through the, the whole revitalization movement in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and all the people who were involved in that, to get to this space now in 2021 where we are, where we are seeing our language everywhere and hearing it everywhere. You know, the, the, the progress we've made is huge, and there's no excuses anymore. Um, the only thing that I find is the barrier is time, people not having the time to commit to learning. But if anyone wants to learn Te Reo Māori, the options are, uh, are countless now, the, the ways you can go about doing that. And so, But if we step back again and just look at the bigger picture and we go, oh, my God, this is amazing for our language. you know, And this is amazing for those, those tamariki, those children who are growing up in Māori uh, immersion units whose first language is Te Reo, to see all of the Māori artists who have been doing this for a long time 
continuing to do this, but also see some other big names jump on board and, and support and promote your language as, as that child and, and show you that, yeah, your, your language has a space in this place, you know? Your language is, is as big as English and, and it can be heard as far as, as the English language goes as well. I think there's just so much more to gain here. We've got nothing really to lose. We've got nothing to lose at all. Koinga tērā mō tenera ko Emil Donovan Aho. Te Tai Pito Pito is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand on air, produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can download us free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform, and if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell, and thanks to Hemi Kelly, and also Lord. Matewa. Wow.